That is not an authentic Mexican dish. That is not a valid means of payment. That is not your mailbox. That is not how much you tip customarily in this state. That is not an accurate population estimate. That is not legal here. That is not a reasonable distance in this heat. That's not an uncommon color for those flowers. The plant is called the basket rush. That's not going to help anyone. That is not close enough for comfort. That is not a valid Groupon for our two-hour trail ride. That is not a valid proof of address. That is not one of those fake tree cell phone towers. That is not a balloon tour of Temecula's wine country. That is not how we treat friends around here. That is not the ocean. That is a sand dune picking wisps of ATV smoke and balling them up into a grounded full moon. That is not the desert. That's a sand trap rooting blossom choya, but still a sand trap. San Diego had a town dog in its virginian years. The mug was named Bum, and from what I remember of the story, Bum came down on a boat or a train from the Bay Area in 1886 and lived merrily in the area that now comprises the gas lamp, surviving on handouts from business people and, unfortunately, booze from the local drunks. He'd wander into bars, the city's finest restaurants, the city courts, and anywhere else he pleased, and was welcomed with adoration and treats. After losing part of one leg and most of his tail in a fight with a bulldog, in a fight with a bulldog on trolley tracks, he was nursed back to health, weaned off liquor, and given as much of an official status as could have existed in early days San Diego. He was made an honorary member of the city council. He posed with mayors and led local parades. A drunk, disabled, homeless dog was celebrated by the city. You can see where I'm going with this. I have a framed picture of Bum the dog on my wall in my kitchen in San Diego. After one year of residency in California. It was scary, but then it was done. The movie lets out into the parking lot and we readjust to daylight. There was a PSA before the credits for do-it-yourself sidewalk repair. An old woman fell in a hilarious manner, but for real. And I felt good about this state, that most people didn't laugh. That doesn't mean we'll solve the problem, but that California takes it as seriously as we're told to take it. I planted a garden in pots and old tea kettles and tires. The plants are tired of never having a season off, but they keep growing and not complaining. There will come a point when my succulents, like this poem, like regular sidewalkers, will riot, with, will riot with force more physical than language. This poem has pushed me far enough I will trip on uprooted concrete, spill wintergreen listerine into traffic lanes on normal Ave. My body will clip into defense drive into the concrete surface, then bound back to a bruise, a blunt red to a dark purple. This poem will impress the importance of properly maintained sidewalks. So read a whole bunch of poems, all of which are more or less called City Fine. Um, and this is the second in the series, and all of them begin with an epigraph. The trust of the city street is formed over time from many, many little public sidewalk contacts. That's from Jane Jacobs, uh, The Death and Life of Great American Cities. Are you comfortable if the coffee shop tarot reader says, step into my office at the coffee shop table? Are you okay if she tells you, close your eyes, and then looks up the cards on her iPhone? Are you comfortable if she pulls out a card for her edibles company, and if that edibles company is called Incredibles? Are you okay learning your fortune to the sound of an old man street musician with a keytar? who presses the demo button, but then sits back, glances at the keytar case he's placed on the sidewalk? Are you comfortable if you know the wedding ring she's excited about isn't a diamond and she's Saturday night screaming like it were a diamond? It could be a cubic zirconium on a beach burnt hand, 
covered with a kai, the joint you've been bogarting, the birds of paradise cupping sprinkler runoff above, do above dog shitty edge grass, the tapatio snorting gutter punk lassoed to parking meters in Ocean Beach, or the banners for this neighborhood, with drawings of banners for this neighborhood. But whatever it is that you offer today, I'll take it. My fortune said to trust this. I think part of the problem I have with San Diego was that I never viewed it as a walkable city until almost the time that I left. It isn't really. Neighborhoods are spread out. Sidewalks are in poor condition. I mean this. This is the only city I've ever lived in where sidewalks are a big issue come election season. Uh, there isn't much shade, and the city is earth mover full of hills. But one night I was out with Maria, and we walked from her place to Triple Crown, a little over a mile each way. In any other city, I'd have walked it without question, would have walked it innumerable times before that night. But in San Diego, the trek felt obscene. Until I did it, and then I loved it. But was that initial reluctance to walk? Was that me or the city? I mean, Kendall walked to the Hillcrest Shuttle all the time. Felipe and Christina walked from their house to the farmer's market every Sunday. In the last few months I lived in San Diego, I began walking places I would normally drive. You notice the place differently with the slower, with the slower pace. The giant turtle munching on grass in someone's yard. The personalized plate for Boy Sky 07. If I had walked in San Diego from the start instead of biking and driving most places, my experience would definitely be different. Introduction. I am tacitly giving bad advice. What I'm saying, even though I hate it, is fake it till you guess it, till you know no one is looking, make a pass at the exit, seduce the exit, love the exit. I guess that's called the French exit, the Irish goodbye, the San Diego so long. I am spectacularly good at guessing when stakes are as low as the water tables. I can read through history books enough to guess what happens at the end. I can guess from past experiences what a look like that means for my presence here. I can guess as much about Montana as I can about Rancho Bernardo. Location, climate, primary exports. So this is the fourth poem in the City Fine series, it's a two-parter, part one. The problem with community is that usually its advocates are referring to some phantom of the past projected onto some future utopia at the cost of disavowing the unholy reality of living in the present. James Donald imagining the modern city. Question. When will City Heights get its neon sign? We're nearing the sesquicentennial. This city antibodies what present visitors cannot surmise. Sunrise, storefront glare, discomfortable public parks, whatever a botanica is, the possibility of an inadvertent Eucharist, now instructions that are all printed in English. Fast grow shade bringing trees as long as residents water them, do not sit under them, do not lock janky ass bikes to them. The sidewalk is a meeting place, not your living room, not your house, so treat it as you would your neighbor's fence. The argument made at the after party over flat beer and draggy pretzels. As the, clat, as the cat at the black cat mashes a claw into coaster pulp. Here, change is choosing who you surrender to, where you run. Part two, it's also an epigraph here. We try to fix the city in place, remembering it as it was, doing to the city what we would never allow to be done to ourselves. It's Colson Whitehead. Still life with Asmara, Sirens, Pinata. Still life with Cat, Non-Native Tree, BMX. Still life with rolling papers, camera, paper plate, grease stains. Still life with Instagram, uneasiness, melted ice. Still life with uniform, backpack, nightstick. Still life with change. Still life with Spanish, Arabic, Vietnamese, coffee bean and tea leaf. Still life with new crosswalks. Still life with zoning ordinance. Still life with everyone in the restaurant staring at your English. Still life with plugging the jukebox back in to restart it. 
Still life with old women, closing thrift store, scrapped dinner table. Still life with new lock on the old door, a rent check, the damage deposit. So maybe you're sensing the pattern. This is after two years of residency in, in California. The corner store counterman with the long drug mail has a kid. You worry, but eventually get hungry. Felipe said the best burritos are Super Sergio's, but a pretty good burrito isn't usually reason enough to go down to Chula Vista. You go one day when you hear about the abandoned dam, the transition from never inhabited to abandoned. Party City memorials surround the lake bed. All the people resting in peace died in 1994 on motorcycles. On the blocked off path, kids take the turn like their mountain bikes were turbo horsepowered. Abandoned is never right. The drive back from the dam is a drive-in movie where 599 graffiti tags stay in the same place for three hours and no credits roll. Felipe and Christina left for St. Louis about a month ago. You stop by the corner store for a refuel late to their going-away party, and the clerk with the long fingernail reminds you of the gift for them you have in your trunk. The sunscreen dripped onto the map, the leftover burrito, the trunk, everything. Despite a lack of sunlight, something new and green started growing out of the goop. You have no backup gift, so you bottle them as gift them California's newest life. So this is the seventh in the City Finds series. It's also got an epigram. Museums are tubes, and it looks like everything is turning into a museum. Robert Smithson. Bolting up from the most recent, it was only a dream. The universe knows the nightmare was one where it was a light bulb, dressed up like the 1890s. That kind of slow-vibe filament meant to mostly obscure catacombs, but machine-built, Amazon-shipped, coloring things nostalgia. But an ancestor generation, disposably raising a two-day beard in the sand-colored Suzuki in the Ocean Beach parking lot, slobbery from decades licked onto Newport store windows, the EKG purple of the sky from the pier, the unfit-for-public yoga, the wheat smell coming from the grills of open ranges, the color red repainted so it stays, bring this to me. The sunset is always here. Here there's no time to accommodate your speed. After three years' residency in California, the kind of ugliness you defend till exhausted, over-fortified, the kind of love the hungry possum has for whatever food can stop in the metal trap, the crows playing loud, breaking off palm fronds, the contact, the front seat, the filter end gets passed from fingers to fingers, driving slow against the glitter. The South Bay drive-in played the same movie twice, so by accident, so we drove to the beach instead. Tory Pines is taught faultless, unyielding, but only if somebody else pays the $10 entrance fee. The set of my mantle is important, from nearby. I remember as much. I'm keeping it. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs>
And Maria uses words powerfully, cutting out the kind of nervous over-explaining that might, at its self-indulgent worst, become caught up in its own con construction and become writing about writing. But that's not Maria's writing. Maria's writing goes right up to the point of discomfort, the invisible line in the middle of the Rio Grande, separating one nation from another, the moment when a neighbor realizes their speech is being cataloged for a future poem. And at these moments, it doesn't shy away, doesn't hide in irony or easy political smugness. Maria's poetry offers up complexity, then finds a way to deal with it. Taught, carefully chosen, and immediately resonant, the poems and pieces you're about to hear deny that there must be a contradiction between aesthetic, aesthetic resilience and topical risk. Please join me in welcoming Maria Fleckman. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, friends. Um, I'm going to read a few poems, and then we're going to watch a little, a little movie. This poem is a lie. Scotty Joe Barker took me home one night. Big red truck, shiny in the rain. It was huge. I had to climb up into it. Wind in the cab, everything tussling. Hair around his ears, out the sides of his baseball cap, tussling. That camel pattern I like. You want it? Take it, Scotty said. I took it. Wind in my hair, everything tussled. This, this is a love poem. I bet when you were born, the doctors picked you up and smacked your little baby ass and looked into your eyes and said, those eyes, those lucky doctors. This is a Justin Timberlake song. This is everything I've ever done in hot pursuit of you. Yeah, you and the ball cap. You with your back turned to all this. You and the casual neighborhood violence around you. Every time you explain something, the romantic in me shrivels. I know how the world works. I know how your mouth works. Shut that thing up. Move along in. girl hat. Every now and then someone sees me for my one true beautiful self. Like Carmen at Rumors. Look how correct she is, says Carmen of me to these men. My girl half positions her jaw in the bar's light. Together we lean in, reach over the stools to touch Carmen's hand, kiss the back side of it. My other half slapping down cash for more shots all around. The two of them jagged, exposing the suture. You'll never let a man tell you otherwise. Baby girl. This poem is from my mama. First day of spring, the house burned down. She said it was a gift from God. I go back after 20 years, stand where the window in the bedroom was, and it's a sugar maple grown up, maybe an oak. Near bled to death after the birth. Right there in my own tub, she said, and then later the tub in a flame with the rest of it. Standing there holding the baby, watching the beams bend to fetal and snuff out. Not this country bumpkin. Not this tiny white light. 
little girl. Doña Reina asked me if I tienes bebes. I've just managed Feliz Dia de la Madre to her. Gracias, Maria, she beamed. Brava, Maria. I shake my head at the question like tengo miedo. Es bueno que no, I tell Reina. Soy un bebe. Soy un bebe. Soy una nena. No sé nada y no hablo bueno. Ay, cálmate, Maria, calma. Sometimes when I talk to God, it's because I don't know who else to thank. Sometimes I thank the thing itself. Sometimes there's no thing. Then I thank myself. This is the mother in me. So now I'm going to ask Paula to come down. You'll fucking die in a hole, you prostitute. You are ugly, period. Betty fucking muérete en un hueco, prostituta, eres fea, punto. Attention whore, and too young. Puteas por atención y muy joven. You're pretty, can you show your toes, please? Eres linda, puedes enseñar tus dedos de los pies, porfa. You are pretty, but just saying that, please stop playing with your hair. Eres linda, pero solo digo que por favor, para de jugar con tu pelo. OMG, girl, you just IDK5, worried about your homework. Anda, nena, tienes solo en IC5, me preocupan tus estudios. This is sad. You are like five. Stop. Esto es triste. Tienes como cinco. Para. Ugly. Fea. You were not ugly when you were younger, but wow, you are really beautiful now. No eras fea cuando joven, pero wow, ahora sí que eres bella. Do you have a Twitter? Please reply. Tienes Twitter? Por favor, responde. Nice if you could show your body. Estaría bien que enseñes tu cuerpo. Very pretty. Bien linda. Very pretty. Bien linda. You're very pretty and you know it. Eres bien linda y lo sabes. You're very pretty, my opinion is all that counts. Eres bien linda, mi opinión es lo único que cuenta. I'm fucking bawling. Is this what the world has came to? Little girls asking the world their physical and mental worth. She's like nine years old, asking us if she's pretty. Everyone has beauty no matter where it's found. No paro de llorar, a esto ha llegado el mundo. Nenas chiquitas preguntándole al mundo su valor físico y mental. Tiene como nueve años. Y preguntándonos si es linda, todos tienen belleza, no importa dónde lo encuentren. Show us your asshole. Enséñanos tu culo. Ugly. Fea. Ugly. Fea. Ugly. Fea. 
Okay, you're like eight years old and you can't spell the word ugly. I am so done with YouTube. OMFG. Okay, tienes como ocho años y no sabes deletrear la palabra fea. Ya no vuelvo a YouTube. OMFG. You're like four. What do you know about pretty? Tienes como cuatro. ¿Qué sabes tú de linda? What are you like five? Que tienes como cinco. What are you seven? Que tienes siete. What are you eight? Que tienes ocho. You're like three. Tienes como tres. Okay, you're like eight or nine. Okay, tienes como ocho nueve. You're like seven. Tienes como siete. I feel like a fucking pedophile, and aren't you a bit too young to be an attention whore? Me siento como un jodido pedófilo, y no eres un poco joven para estar buscando tanta atención. Honestly, you really want to attract pedophiles? Nobody likes a vain girl. Honestamente, en verdad quieres atraer pedófilos. A nadie le gusta una chica vanidosa. Goddamn attention whore. You're probably deleting comments with the wrong definition as of what you think you are. You just want the one spamming that, oh my god, you're so pretty, etc. Puta presumida, de seguro estás borrando comentarios con la definición incorrecta de lo que crees que eres. Solo quieres los que spamean, ay Dios mío, eres tan linda, etc. I have to admit, at 3.24 you were pretty. Tengo que admitir que a las 3.24 te veías linda. 1 to 10, I say 7. 1 a 10, digo 7. About a 4 out of 10 if you want in numerical terms now that you ask. Como un 4 de 10 si lo quieres en términos numéricos, ya que preguntas. Well, here's the truth. You, in my opinion, are a 3 out of 10 ugly. However, if you lose some weight and grow older, you will at least become a 5 out of 10 average, maybe. Bueno, pues aquí está la verdad. Tú eres, en mi opinión, eres un 3 de 10 fea. Pero si pierdes unos kilos y envejeces, serás por lo menos un 5 de 10 aproximadamente, tal vez. You're like a 5. Eres como un 5. You're average. Eres más o menos. Oh my God, you're so cute. Ay, Dios mío, eres tan mona. Oh my God, gorgeous. Ay, Dios mío, preciosa. Holy fuck, you're prettier than me, oh my God. Puta madre, eres más linda que yo, ay, Dios mío. You are so cute. Eres tan mona. Oh my God, you look like Amanda Bynes, Mean Girl version, and Parent Trap too. Ay, Dios mío, te pareces Amanda Bynes, versión niña mala, y Parent Trap también. You're fine, you look like Lindsay Lohan as a teen. También te pareces a Lindsay Lohan de joven. You are beautiful. Can I, like, have your face? Eres tan bella. Me regalas tu cara. You are pretty for who you are. Eres linda por quien eres. Pretty. Linda. Pretty. Linda. Pretty ugly. Bastante fea. So sexy. Ah. Muy sexy. Ah. I'd rape you. Te violaría. Is this real life? Esto es vida real. Kill yourself. Mátate. Oh. Basic unit of romance 
a pair. Her poems are full of counterintuitive marriages like Vin Diesel and planetary computation or Spinoza and Walling. They're playful and concerned, theoretical and certain, contemporary and canonical. They're sharp, incisive, but they also soften to language, to knowledge, to romance, to form. It's been a pleasure and a privilege getting to know Kendall. I've been consistently challenged by her work, and I'm going to get out of here and let her come on. <laughs> out of your asshole and into my mouth. I'm promising you an orange robe. The media promised me jetpacks, but I'm a trooper. Send me a prosthetic leg and a loose cannon, and I'll inhale it like a bouquet. I will suffer an ignoble death, blindfolded before a steak knife taped to a Roomba. This might take some time. Doing nothing is a new something. I spent a whole afternoon candying yams over an open flame. They tasted like citronella. I feel like a wet seed wild in the hot, blind earth. I feel like a boa constrictor that grows to the diameter of the drain pipe and then stops growing. From all the ganglia of desire I abbreviate, this is my flower. I've given it to you. Try to imagine our skin in the future, the future city freezing and cracking like a screen. Vodka poached by water doesn't freeze. I'm onto you, but it's mostly funny. We haven't yet eaten all our reserves in the luxury of an emergency party. Put the water weight of this storm on our bodies. Imagine the future after the end of the economy. I dug your bad heart out of your chest in a fit of young shenanigans, but you put it back, wet and cold. You can do something good when you're young. The same thing older is not as good. This is how I feel about my love. This is how I feel about my art. This is how I feel. This is the state of things. This is the state flower of Florida. I know where sea cows congregate headfirst like the milk cows I was raised on. Where to feed tarpon up to the elbow, pick too many mangoes, pick aloe vera to ease the rash. I know where to go out and where to come home. I am the rhythm in our stomping, grounds the source of your dexterity, the reason you got into Berkeley. I know the B-sides, fatty underbelly, baby, where to creepy at. The bars before they're emptied and cut, reassembled like wigs. The white house with the broken chicken, orange rose petals, orange water, honey. The full moon is a pill for what ails. Water rolling under the car is in sleep. The stiller I stand, the sadder if I feel. If I cannot fuck you, let me. Fuck you up. A lizard caught in the throat of a cat like spaghetti. I hold her and you pull it out. This is the rhythm method. This is real life in which you're sweet on soft targets. Let's start with the basics, like a cow giving up cud. The unit of analysis should be the ecology of relations. Veni, vidi, selfie. Everyone makes fun <laughs> of that scene from American Pie. Am I the only apple-eyed heart crying, yeah, boy, get it? <laughs> it's been brought to my attention that Vin Diesel, Stone Cold, Steve Austin, Pitbull, The Rock are all different people. <laughs> is this love a beginning, or is it the endo? It's hard for me to describe the planetary computation of dreamboats and words, but I get the basic. 
gist, I'm confident I could fake my way through a conversation about boats. And if ever I was to encounter boats in real life, I'd probably say boats. <laughs> the certainty to which empirical facts aspire. The music to physical therapy in media res. The days of swine and roses before segregation of Eros and Agape. Baby, what, what goes there in the commons? I had this ache. I thought it was for sex, but it was to tear everything to fucking pieces. New evidence suggests gerbils worked the bubonic plague. A priori intimacy, no rest for the weary, no trust in cute. I can spot your love because you talk to me like to your pet. Varied, affective, blow smoke, the context lol. Love is a joy with recognition of an external cause. Joy is the increase in power to think and to act. If a market never runs, out of Spinoza yelling fire, does that mean nothing or everything reads his ass? I'm telling you emergency truths about yourself. Like this, if you cry every time, if you crave everything, if you die every day of your life. <laughs> Not quitting, just loosening. Eating and drinking, things that make my life easier. My contact high writing that phylum of pure potential. I want to make puppies with you. I know I'm not hot, but in my culture I may be cute and I woke up sad. We didn't go to party city. You know, a cop was at that red light. Bank cashiers giving all kinds of attitude. Jellyfish clogging your anus. How desire inscribes itself into reality. In the house there are three roaches, two lizards, and one python. In the house there are one million roaches, one million lizards, and one million pythons. Cry about it with me over a fat, great Dutch, moving toward bioluminescence. You prefer not to go out tonight, but if it's the end of the world, bitch, why aren't you dead? Moving like a sick spine of cars across the causeway has great effect on our relationship. Things come on, get set like boiled eggs, I'm screaming about the state of the bird of paradise, like how hard is it to remember water? If then, so what? The causeway up, I feel blessed. It's our first porn, soft as limestone, edible knife fish broke open on the skeletal, miles from a canal, a remediation of legal death. I have no will nor digital executor. I'm still vibing from killing it on the dance floor and we can fight all we want if it makes us money. I want to be money with you. I am a Nigerian prince and I would like for 1,000 US dollars to buy your bike. I am writing this with tears in my eye. I want to make a movie about your bored sigh. Someone's bludgeoned inside out in a bowling alley. I feel so stupid sad when I discover this scene already exists in my mind. I replace every pin with your head. I'm sick and tired of you setting me up. When nature goes against nature, it becomes something more than horrible. Scream into me like a horn. I want your lap even after you stand up. I didn't know what I'd find when I searched Jared from Subway's Dark Secret, but I knew there would be something. <laughs> On the real, sometimes I hate my body so much, I have to say it out loud, but not always you over me. Sometimes I'm on top, and it's like everything that goes up must come. There is no sexual symbolism, and sexuality does not designate another economy, another politics, but rather the libidinal and conscious of political economy as such. This sentence has been carried out, and you deserve to die in this lavish absence, a part, a party. You were my greatest hit, uh, and I took it like a man all the way to the bank. 
showing up to the club like, oh no, there's people here. Not waving, but drowning. What is this being against when we could be together? Birds do it, bees do it, pythons do it like rabbits. What is this ethico-aesthetic paradigm group selfie? You the mame and I'm the black sapote. I'm the guanamana and you be maracuya. Just tell me how you really feel. No phones, no phonies. Showing up to the club like flies contour dung. Remember, love needs a body. You were my creator, but I am your master. Obey. The way you think you think is a manifest image, the Turing test, and it is weaponized. How can I hit this? Bomb underwater, echolocation? I'm over here, dropping the ball like it's New Year's, the self-same sadness, the same ruinous height. Googling exes with inhuman speed makes me sorry. I was never in a band. Life imitates art, which is the origin myth of flatulence, silent but deadly. Why are you staring? Do I deserve clearer and more generous light? Kanye wants me to think futuristically, but I can only manage what keeps me in the present, constantly shocked to learn friends have savings accounts. I know you're tired of being wealthy, so baby girl, put it on me. <laughs> Making a fist with the left while inserting the right digits past the epiglottis delays the gag reflex for deeper auto-tune self-care is a circulation of a spilt cat bleaching its own asshole with milk. Home remedies are subjugated knowledges taken by the Roman twins of relativism and totalization. Reply with the subject, our body line, help. Got the club going up on a Tuesday, Ruby Tuesday, practicing older, whiter, middle class. I'm trying to solve the problem of like capitalist appropriation. Like, why do I love hard dick and bubblegum and why am I out of bubblegum? I'm gunning to birth the regicide. Lay away in the ultra-mundane. I want to sleep beneath the most romantic neighborhood drummer, the smallest business feeling, massive stars. I'm ready to grow young again. No retreat, baby, no surrender. Your face disguised as my sleeping clothes makes thin white noise. The water between beta fish, nothing is too precious. Sit like a folding chair in the chemical measure of a pool and follow our dreams down. Tease me into the bet west wet tortilla and we'd learn more in a three-minute record. Baby, I would carry therapy the shit out of that song, if only. Every time you get undressed, I hear symphonies. In my head, everything is terrible, especially the trumpets. Upended, not upworthy. Unfriended, not blocked in the trower march of our data body. I find it virtually impossible to write poems offline, so I recon the image of your adoraps like back on deck. Rending a white shirt above your head to light a joint against the wind. Torque like Andrew girl across a plane of imminence, worth at least 1800, 1948 dollars to MoMA, the year a hurricane broke Florida. Pour a little 40 on the salt of the earth, in the wound, for my homies, even you. I suffer in low key, vocal fry, migraines, and bloated sacks of shit, the best poems ever written our planet-centering aspect, or a girl in Urban Dictionary, pretty and smart and funny, at the best poetry readings, what am I seeing? How do I mind? If you loved me, you would seriously order pizza delivery right here, right now. <laughs> what is the ironic distance when the missiles are air to surface and air to air, like matte blue polish gesticulate speech, like PowerPoints on fleek, the fidelity of the lyric I can't even imagine 
All the ways desire gets gripped, like the throne of the bulwark, like the tongue of a horse. And for Brett Zayner, I was gunning for an anti-intro, an exit, but I can't leave well enough alone. And what is well enough when the atmosphere is so dangerous? Don't give life to death, give death to death. Brett answered my recent fit of insomnia, brought on by watching too many videos on spontaneous iPhone combustion. <laughs> Something is going to happen in the air right here that will change you at a molecular level. I mean this literally. Have you ever gotten laid at a funeral? There are no mere words for this, so please give it up for Brett Zayner. <laughs> Okay, so thanks to Kendall, that was an awesome introduction, and it's a really hard act to follow. Um, and thanks everybody for coming. Um, so today I would like to speak with you a bit about the weather. The atmosphere has become a text for us to read the consequences of global capitalism. We keep crossing thresholds of climate change while empire continues through police violence and violent epistemologies. Now political discourses erupt over who can breathe, or more precisely, who has the right to breathe. So this reading will think through the atmosphere as an elemental poetics, a battlefield from which empire attempts to colonize space, both on the global scale and on the micro scale of the body. Part of this reading is an erasure piece written through poems from millennia. In these sections, I use only lines written about the weather to build a kind of climate report from a multitude of poets. This will combine with a manifesto on the poetics of the air. So here we go. 1945 to 1950. We scoop out a grave in the sky where it's roomy to lie. No more fruit, no more trees, no more vegetables, no more plants or food. Synthetic products to repletion in vapors and special humors of the atmosphere on axes of atmosphere drawn by force. And long live war, right? Hanging, fluttering clouds of dust, smelling of smoke, eddies of flame and smoke. My reason demands weapons. My reason calls to arms. I saw a lot of machines fight, but I only saw in the infinite rear. And after me came the rustling of ill repute, and bitter is the air of banishment, like poisoned wine. One, this is where the manifesto starts. Hurricane was the first word appropriated into English from the Western Hemisphere. The British Empire was an empire of the sea. Now the United States is an empire of the air, my target. The myth of dematerialization, the de-peopled landscape seen from the satellite view, the bomb site, the anthology overview, the modernist urban plan, these territories are drawn by law and property, through appropriation, division, and administration. This is not conceptual. It's not just ideas. It's always a geopoetics, and it's always a body and a material consequence. 
1955 to 1960. No garden, no more. No south, no sugar, no more. No soap, no joy. Winter is my salt, my slush, on this too white sheet. My eye is the clockwork of your inventions. Atom bomb, you think I'm dead? My body is big and fat with the bones of Hitler and Bismarck and Nietzsche and Truman. Two. The elements are the backgrounds of sensation. They are always already there. Emotional atmospheres are a kind of gathering, a folding of landscape and subjectivity. Fog is a mixture of earth, air, and body, bone and joint, the sense, the sense that the weather is a foreboding. But as soon as rain and wind are submitted to measure, their character is reduced. All things are leveled then to a normal predictability in the forecast. 1962 to 1969. Through a window in the northern hemisphere, the light moves slowly past morning to afternoon. Before I can place the red flare, it's gone. Darkness. You doctors searching in the body of America for capitalism's cancerous cells, invading our sleep, you turning your faces away, don't write in the stories of our lives. Cheap films float there, glimmering in the moonlight like flies on water, projecting with reflected light clear upon night sky, Hollywood floating sick and bloodless. But to die bleeding real blood, you have to lie naked. Fuck it. I say dream in a hailstorm of riots. Three. Tear gas is comprised of tiny droplets of fog-like moisture that sticks to and covers the skin, the soil, and the architecture. Its aim is to attack and disrupt atmospheric affinity, to disperse the crowd. Tear gas is an irritant on multiple sites of the body. It can cause excessive tearing, burning, blurred vision, redness, burning of the nostrils and mouth, difficulty swallowing, drooling, chest tightness, coughing, choking, wheezing, shortness of breath, skin burns, rashes, nausea, and vomiting. Tear gas has also been linked to miscarriages and long-term respiratory damage. War II is meteorological. It's a system of, of production, a storm of flying metal and compressed air. The firebombing of Tokyo was launched on a day with gale winds to inflict the most damage. The climate is a theater that we call wartime. 1973 to 1979. The moon men are back from the moon. The enemy, always just out of sight, Snowshoes, the next forest, shrouded in a snowy blur. Abominable snowmen gunning down the babies at Mylai, vanishing in the face of confrontation. The prince of air and darkness computes body counts, masturbating in the factory of facts. I suddenly see the world as no longer viable, the landscape of bone. The air witnesses an abduction. Now many sleep the whole way, while others sit staring holes of fire into the air, Planning rebellion, awake in prison. Four. The first territories were marked by animals with piss and shit. Now capitalism moves to appropriate through waste. Trash patches, dead zones, oil spills, atomic tests. These are inscriptions on the earth that are never immaterial. Only a distanced responsibility. 
away from the earth and away from the body. Atmospheric mobility for some to escape to the clean air, but asthma, birth defects, bronchitis, and cancer for others. 1981-1989 Even with the night between us, neither side would give up its position. We waited for a change of weather to reopen hostilities. I don't believe the sky is blue. I don't believe in thunder's echoes. I don't believe that dreams are false, and I don't believe that death has no revenge. A new conjunction and glimmering stars adorn the unobstructed sky. They are the pictographs from 5,000 years. They are the watchful eyes of future generations. Five. All that is solid melts into the air. Each year, the entire planet inhales and exhales. The atmosphere is both here and there, worn and endured, felt and unfelt, ambient. A material witness, the atmosphere remembers. When there's a big enough storm, the others will follow the same track. The air makes visible our consequences. It complicates our borders. Smog, pesticide drift, dust storms. Air is the human scale of temporality. It permeates us. Full of holes, for better or worse, we respirate. 1993-2000. Coughing means dust. Earth, can you imagine the sky removed? Wire on all sides unfixed, and the vast, convulsed gale ashore? A wind sutured? Sun, your crutches punctured. The brief scream of earth thrown at the sky. But to the atomic silence that stipulates me, and to the millions of secondhand skins I will wear at the anthology of the burned world, poetry is my morgue, my serenity, and my shipwreck. Six. To conspire means to breathe together. Exhausted, you may find a sort of bad atmosphere here in this room. The temperament of melancholy, an air of dejection. Melancholic air attacks from without and from within. Bodies become steam engines. Empowerment is not only a physical or a social mobility. It's also a joining with the air to use it as a breath and a voice. So the crowd takes on an atmosphere now. The age of irony and sarcasm shifts to an atmosphere of guilt and shame and then anger. The crowd becomes thunderous. When the tempest strikes, hierarchies crumble. Now a ground fire spreads to a low and distant roar. Everything is connected, but only at its limit. Thank you. So now it's my great pleasure to introduce Jose. Um, <clears throat> so what you're about to see is a poet who excels in the conflict zones of process, translation, and collective writing. Often in my own writing, I've treated poetry rather poorly, and I've looked for valorization in other disciplines. However, Jose's work inspires me because it doesn't fall into the cult of theory or the fetish of method. Critical and creative don't have easy distinctions in Jose's work. He doesn't tack on a poem at the end of his critiques, and he doesn't tack on a critique at the end of his poems. I know for a fact that Jose stares at walls for hours, and he doesn't have a Facebook page. 
Sometimes we have to sit longer in the confusion and noise of disagreement, of dissensus. Jose's poems and performances ask us, how do we win but without taking power? Please welcome Jose Antonio Giron. Extracting language, allowing her to speak as for from the private sector, the government, the people. Where's the money? Where are the resources? Healthy bodies don't grow forever. The uneven distribution of harm benefits. I don't really know what the fuck I'm doing here. How can I live in your reality? A new use of language is science and icons. These are the fact that the most minimal effect of sense, even the most intimate, most unconscious passes under the control of social hierarchies. Can the act of writing this text establish the potential for a... We run looking for a weapon. And we run looking to drop it. Not a happy ending. Possible endings for the open pit. Conversation between father and son. Son contemplates suicide. The role of desire in the production of contemporary subjectivities. I'm losing time. The open pit is an assemblage of collective enunciations. The parents, the non-human world. How can you compare cows and apples, water and the economy? To inform about the encounter, to write, to show the inconsistency of reality. Eliminate it, confusing. Return to the rock, return to the body. My little war machine, or the reluctant rock star, or Aida Amada is dying in the hospital, and I don't know what to do about it. Mikel exists, the coast equal to W. Morococha versus Open Pit, UCSD. Wonderful. You can continue, Pepe, it won't really matter. Thank you, Harrison. Who does the earth think it is? How can I weaponize my privilege? Can you hear it? Can you hear it? The possible end for process, a note on what to do with all these notes. In other words, end the section with the idea that sparked the structure for the whole project. Process, text, instructions. Process, text, instructions. Process, text. Instructions. Text. Players. Actors. The private sector. The people. The government. The non-human world. The parent. The body, the body of the open, open pit. pit. The active that's not one of the actors comprising the body of the open pit. A question of displacement. 
A Chinese company buys a large mining site in Peru. Copper, molly, and silver deposits run through the mountain. There's a town on the mountain, a bull with no horns. In order to reach the deposits, the people must go, as must the mountain. All goes round again. The company claims it won't force anyone to leave. The craters will reach the town in eight years. Your computer is killing Morikocha. Component, monitor, our fathers went to the same school together. Our grandparents knew each other well. They frequented the same country club although the differences were quite noticeable. CRT glass. Lead and silicone. The Hulliman is located in your dwelling office. Jose Leto and I went to the same school our fathers did, an all-boys Catholic school with the same group of students from kindergarten to senior year in high school. Plastic. ブラジルの中心部にある。ブラジルの中心部にある。ブラジルの中心部にある。ブラジルの中心部にある。ブラジルの中心部にある。ブラジルの中心部にある。ブラジルの中心部にある。ブラジルの中心部にある。ブラジ
He likes to stare at walls. Let's try that again. To extend the vortex, metabolic bodies in tungsten positions, amniotic fluid running through his nostrils, rhythm generating pulsations, body movement sit down further, teaching songs played out in endless geometrical tatters. The back is monstrous, a trace of tectonic fissures, juridictal in stark clutches. How would this translate into Spanish? He'll be born in three months. The public hearing. I don't want your numbing bureaucratic procedures or one-stop offices. I don't, I don't want, want your, your, your constant violent protests. I don't want your 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 constant violent protests. I don't want your I don't want your rampant lack of confidence or antiquated worldviews. I don't want your I don't want your private I don't want your football stadiums. Because to introduce Ethan is to also introduce his whole family. 
I was present for your construction and the mutterings of the snoring corpse heaped on the floor presently. I saw the special care that went into the omission of fear and resistance, something that I have in abundance. All the good it does me when my motor functions were switched off. The pest eater that you had picked up hissed and spat as it was being handled, but you, the mimetic form of a child, didn't seem to mind, explored it thoroughly and put it back upon the shelf. This type of exploration went on for a while, so much so that I briefly considered that the old man was more attracted to curiosity rather than fear. I felt a brief pang of jealousy. Clearly, I had the capacity to be jealous and knew it for what it was most that I had felt. What I didn't consider to be special until later was my complete awareness of my functionality, something that you lacked. What I realized that you did have was complete innocence. This was the coveted nature of children and the attraction of those who longed to experience it only if by proxy. I realized then why the old man coveted children. Was this epiphany brought me? Was the beginnings of an idea and of an awareness of a need to experience it for myself to be treated as innocent? You eventually made your way over to me. You seemed to consider me for several moments, recording me with the limited range of senses that you'd been given. I don't know what gave me away, but you noticed, and I told you my story. The day I became self-aware was the most terrifying of my life. I awoke to find myself immobile and in pain. I was slouched down on my backside, legs spread and my arms crossed over my lap. A pair of legs were walking away with me, or from me. His legs. My head was pistoned at an angle, leaning against the wall of what appeared to be a wooden table. I was sitting with my back against it near the corner of a room that was as much toy shop as workshop. The floor was littered with metal and wood shavings, splatters of paint and stains from oils and blood. I continue to sit. I suspect that I've disappointed Father somehow. I see the old man go about his business as if I had any impact on the hate underlying his tightened fists or rippling forearms. I don't. I am inconsequential to his in-game, simply a version of perfection and hubris. He calls me Drang as he snatches a cog-driven toy taking shape under his delicate fingers. He is so full of rage, it must be boiling from his blood, attempting to erupt through a swift movement, and a desire to do something, anything that will create life. I wonder if he even thinks of me anymore. It seems pedophiles want children of their own, too. Today is the day wherein the tinker opens his doors to the public. I know why he really does it. It must be torturous to see the little bodies that he craves parade around him, carefree and unsuspecting. They play with his toys and marvel at his creations, and his genius torturous and satisfying. Each night after he brings you out, the other, reenacting the day's earlier scenes with little hands on little bits of his genius. Each scene plays out the same way with the old man asleep, wine bottle in hand, sometimes with the clockwork hummingbird still stuck in his arms, sometimes not. Today I sat ignored by the small bare feet of street urchins. These days, as most, I am invisible to the children. The leersome jester changes modes when held by children. He grasps their necks as if he is afraid of how high they will hold him. He nuzzles close to their necks, smelling their skin and hair, rolling his eyes. He does it to vex me. I know he does. Nightly, he remarks to me how the little girls smell of strawberries, or of cat piss, or of lice. The metallic fish in its bowl of mercury does flips through the air, changing designs and its patterns to these squealing delights of groups of talkers holding hands to older ones. In fact, it seems that most of the Tinker's creations have two modes of being. The toys save their venom for me and the old man himself. Will you also, dear brother, sister? 
They cheer him on when the gas lamps have gone dim and the sport of the night seems to be target practice. You seem to accept the offering as any good sport would. It is this more than anything that makes me hate you. It is only of late that I suspect you of being empty of true thought. If not, wouldn't the other watchers on the shelves address you as one of their own? No, they are aware of my insecurities. They know the longing in my mind to move to escape this rotten den. It is always so stifling and warm in here. Even on the floor, the wood seems to hold the moisture and body heat of the old man's snoring feet away from me. If only I could leave his inattention. Why does it bother me? It must be enough for me that this focus of the shelf dolls, of the metal mazes, of the perfuming parrots lend my experience validity. Tonight, it is the chorus of poisonous steam toads that, if handled only so, would have been a beautiful tune while emitting waves of pheromone, utterly harmless to little boys and girls, but serves to identify the nature of someone's soul harmonic, of those older, more quote-unquote experienced. They are the instigators of tonight's folly. Eventually, they will all partake, and they will convey the day's senses to me, highlighting my immobility, and I will endure their jives and talking because I have no eruption. They explain to me the pleasures of being held without violation, being wanted and loved for what they are, not what they will give. I can no, take no comfort in the fact that I am a more aware unit of soul construction. I am not allowed to swivel my eyes, let alone explain my extraordinary nature. They revel in the silence and stillness of my imprisonment. The toads sing in unison of a little boy and girl couple who would have brought, bought them for their little brother at home sick with consumption, if not for the fact that nothing is for sale in the curio shop. Maybe they long for something to do, and then you could come to me and hold me. It is both better and worse by the very nature of our connection. I inherit the molestation you've endured by your sense of fair play. To me, the rape happens, intimate and burning. The warm body lying feet away feels immediate, as if the weight is focused behind me. Yet I feel your legs move and revel in the freedom of mobility, of empathy for your pathetic, staring little voice shoved in the corner, switched off. How do you feel for someone while feeling so much already? The tears fall down my face and are absorbed by you. I feel you convulse. I feel. I feel you let go and stand above me. Come back, please. Is this a particular brand of joke upon me, like the shelved toys? Do you enjoy the agony of my loneliness? No, I see your face before walking out of my periphery. Tears also. The both of us have an unrivaled understanding of the protective covering of human bodies. I believe that he made us this way so that we could learn. Each point of contact after the first brought with it a host of visual images within my mind's eye, sense, and textures, and the whole of human experience appropriated through sensory nodes in our skin. What I came to understand while observing you is that we are attuned to different polarities. Mine allows me to siphon and contain the negative experiences that fill the everyday life of humans. It allows me the violations to be that much more horrifying. I am a filter for his sins. You are an empty vessel, attuned to the positive experience of life, never allowing the degradation of your sense of wonder or excitement. I, of course, am aware of the disparity. We perform dual purposes. What I realize now is that the transference is permanent. The sense memories contained with anyone's touch belong to me or are lost to people touching me. Well, it works in reverse with you. Anyone touching you receives a feeling of pure innocence, pure empathy, except for me, of course. We create a feedback loop that aligns our shared soul and it's painful for long moments of contact. I know you feel it too. Maybe this is why the old man left me for rust. He doesn't want to forget his sins. He avoids even casual contact with me. 
From my corner of the room, I can see most of the shop where all of his distractions reside, including your bed and his. I wonder what else exists beyond. Maybe you could tell me someday. Neither one of us needs sleep, so I can only assume that your bed serves some sort of guilt relief for the sod. Neither one of us seems to be able to be real enough for him. All right, so this is from the perspective of W number two, the mobile unit. Everything is bronze, the natural geography reflecting metallic gilding. This part of the world is a hallowed ground, and I feel safe here. I should back up and explain this is a subterranean world, <laughs> post-apocalyptic. Um, this is the cradle of life for me. I fall back and claim against an abutted stalactite. The whole place feels like a hollow cockle shell, made around my nuts, sealed until mature. No one seems to know why the entire place is doused with a layer of bronze. The stalactites, mites, and ceiling of the cavern reflect the dull glow of whatever light is brought in, and my little lamp is amplified not only in light, but the more I sit here, the warmer it gets. More than anything, though, it is quiet for those who know how to be quiet. If I bring in noise and talk, the amplific effect compounds until even organic sensory organs would bleed. Even the softest scuffled boot starts the cascading din. For me, I know how to be quiet, and still, my ambient noise is already fading well past the endurance of biologicals. I can, of course, feel the vibrations zigzagging through the air, but my inner work simply realigned to accommodate. Here, I can feel the effect of such realignments as being spontaneous, magnetic, making me something beyond the functions given to me by father. Sonic evolutions, maybe. The walls and ceilings of the chamber are enormous, extending well beyond the height of many buildings I have seen. The size of the chamber could easily fit a city block within it, and the entire population of the world, shoulder to shoulder, even although in a whisper the reverberations would turn them all to slag. The walls themselves are melted as if a giant candle were inverted around me, beads of metal and rivulets fading to pools of cold metal. At peace, unbothered, unmolested by those with grabbing hands and covetous appetites, my consciousness can expand here. I can think rather than simply function as proper alignment or reaction to biological energy exchanges. Loneliness is novel. My singular is me. It is simply to complex sitting here forever, here by himself. The assemblies of masses awaiting my return to their functions is finite. They decay, and I can never. The soul matter stolen from some previously decayed biomatter will stay within me for as long as I can possibly maintain the connection. This among many is the first function that my father taught me. I must cordon off the buoyant spirit and write it. Concentrate on it and allow its movement to fill the minuscule gears and unused spaces in my chassis, my chest. The hardest part is paying attention to the moments when the spirit tries to escape. It waits patiently to explore the crevices of my being so that when its moment comes, it is ready with the knowledge of the easiest route to oblivion. Moments like this make me aware of the need for the soul to become whole again, like some sort of magnet to its other half residing within the tortured body of my twin. Understood in some ways, it is aware of itself, bypassing the mechanical bullets writing. The inner material of me is metal, and whether image or energy, metal reflects back whatever is thrown at it. So it bounces around and rides between gears, some spiritual friction, jump-starting a little clockwork boy, instilling the need to be. Days go by. I don't need to relieve myself. I don't need food or battery. And when I finally get up to leave, pursue the direct of my father and those that I pledged my allegiance to, the spirit is calmer, more in sync with the body than habits. We've reached some sort of agreement to function as one. Not that the soul contained really had much choice, but certainly there were levels to functionality. All we needed was time to come to unison. 
Without brain and only liquid soul, there is no memory, but there is sense of self that allows me to see myself as self. It courses through my veins, if I have veins, and not simply areas of vacancy between gears, rivulets and channels that shifted depending upon function. Now I'm walking, the pumping legs picking up speed with the appropriation of the eye. I can run, this is fun, woohoo! I take the turns as fast as I can, the gravity does the rest. I run into walls, bounce off jutting pillars from the ground, I can feel the ground shake beneath my feet as if somehow I'm some behemoth animal charging towards potential, picking up kinetic energy with every step. The caverns ring with my feet, in every scrape and bruise, knocked internally, pushing and rearranging alignments and polarities. By the time I arrive back at the partially blocked entrance to my little golden cavern, I'm out of shape. I am breathing heavily, allowing for the intake of oxygen to explode within contact with electrified nodes, connecting joints. No one notices me. They really do. It sounds like the pressure bodies of the world's market stalls, and anyone takes notice, and only a pure curse of me for being in the way. The normal purveyors of taste are there performing their pitches, hawking vegetable pies, and generally trying to be noticed. The last section I'll already do this is um, the mobile boy is kidnapped and brought to a, a higher social strata that is controlled by the Catholic Church. Um, <laughs> Playing with themes of, of um, religion and, of course, pedophilia. Um, and in the scene, there's um, a male character, Claire, uh, I'm sorry, Eric, and a female character, Claire, who um, are working to form a rebellion in their respective social class. But they've been, uh, they've kidnapped the boy, and they are sort of working within this weird family unit situation. I approach the child. Eric and I put it to affect our hypothesis and asked him to turn around. Is the days in the child has needed to neither relieve itself or consume or sleep? The mounting guilt and the confusing personification of the child have been eating away at us for the remaining time we've been together. It turns to look at us and we kneel down to it. The world looks bigger from down here. I had forgotten. There were no words needed to give him. If our idea pans out, the results will be enough. Eric and I position ourselves on either side of the child and look face-to-face, politely curious as to what will happen next. We embrace him. Eric and I reach across his body and embrace each other so that the child is between us, a unit, complete. It happens gradually. I lay my head on its head, and some of my warmth warmth seeps into it. Eric's arms, slightly longer than mine, reach around and gently stroke my hair. The small expressions of love seep into it also. We stay like that for an eternity, and I can feel the child relax in our arms. None of us speak. None of us acknowledge the passing of time. My legs and back start to ache, but I ignore it. I'm sure it won't work. I'm desperate for it to work, but time nonetheless passes. I like your hugs. A simple statement leaves me crying. I can't control the flowing tears running down my face. Eric's embrace tightens and he's leaving my arm wet. The child hugs us back when he chooses to disentangle. He doesn't want to give us up, but I'm dry now. I'll always have more to give, though. Eric looks at me above the child's head, and he's smiling like a fool. I join him, incapable of anything other than joining out. Thank you both. I think I understand now. What do you understand, kid? A secondary, that is to say, an underlying primary function. Love is an awakening of self. It is both reaction and a choice. Accepting the paradox renders it a viable inherent self-actualization. Your love for each other reached across me and created a feedback loop that restarted my algorithmic dilemmas. I am now. I can give love back also. 
And it talks about like the reflected sunshine, like green from cavern oases, or clean water of like completion. I need a name. I would like to be named Prone. Whatever you want, Prone. I'm happy to be here for you. Are you my mother then, that odd? No, Prone. We will not take responsibility for your existence beyond the role of guides and protectors. Parents fulfill those roles also, but we will not be responsible for your moral education. We cannot. It isn't a matter of adoption or anything like that. We're just a couple of many who would like to keep you safe in the face of all the danger and contribute to your well-being. We think that you are meant for great things. And in order for true actualization, you need to have the rest of your role in the world on your own. But you will be necessary. For as long as we can, from, don't worry. We'll be your protectors. You'll need it. Does anyone have a copy of the potential signal? So, leaving the joys and craziness of fiction, um, I'm going to read from this translated piece that I submitted. This is an ongoing memoir project um, that uh, I'm not sure ever will be done, quite frankly. I'm not sure what form it's taking. Um, I'll read maybe one or two of these. My mother once told me that she was St. Peter's familiar, that she sat at his side and kept him company in her off hours, that she sat beside him silently watching while he admitted souls to heaven, and when the stresses of the job got to him, when the turnaway souls had started to mount up, he would then lean down and scratch behind her ears, that she was proud of serving such a capacity, and that it was a very important job. I told her that I understood, and that if she needed to be with him more, I wouldn't make her cover astral projection exercises. I once stumbled upon my father's tool shed and found how dicks and pussies and ball gags work. I stumbled so often that my hands became calloused. My mother once told me that she wanted to die. I told her that I didn't. She turned at the last minute to slowly up and go down. My two-year-old brother was crying. I could hear the fetus crying. I once ate my mother's brownies, and we came to be known in the neighborhood as a house with a boarded-up front window. I once ate glass. My father once led me through a somatic exercise to find Christ. I closed my eyes while my mother witnessed my oath-taking, hand on a teal leather-bound Bible stitched with a black sword. I traveled through my mouth and down my throat and crawled down the center of my body until I hit my stomach. It felt like my belly was full of ice, and I gagged. He told me to travel back up, slowly, slightly to the left, and find the pulse of my heart. Jesus was waiting for me in a tiny room behind my heart. I envisioned it, a tin shed, slightly rusted from misuse. I opened it up, and the white man was sitting naked, cross-legged, and he took off his skin and wrapped it around my shoulders like a cloak. The fleshless man still sits there, waiting for me in my right to the time for him. I was always worried about him being cold without skin. We once prepared to move twelve times. I kept checking to make sure that my shoes had plenty of tread left. My backpack was as full as possible. An extra pair of jeans, two shorts, two pairs of socks, an extra pair of underwear, colored pencils without paper, playing cards held together with a rubber band, stuffed animal, and a picture of my best friend. The house with the border of window became a house with a padlock door. We began our pilgrimage in the dead night, away from the stern eyes of Whittier's sheriff department, and the silent threat of two shotguns carried over shoulders. We had used up their good graces when my father called them pigs. 
I had to say that I agreed with him. By morning, they crossed under the 605 and entered East LA. And we set up camp in the park with a small playground and waited for our birth to begin. My mother once told me that to receive welfare in Los Angeles, we had to be homeless for at least two weeks. I remember thinking that the tree we ate around would be made for a treehouse. And one night I almost fell out of a low-hanging limb that I made a bed my bed in. I wondered, and I remember thinking that the word welfare was misnamed. And once a week I walked with my father from the shelter's burnout neon palm tree through underpasses with gorgeous men to the three storage units that my grandparents were paying for. Here was a hoarded mass that contained my nine-year-old life. My father had sold what he could, sifting through faded Tupperware and fatal taxidermist mounts from my school books. My father would lead me to them and while disappearing into another shed with his flashlight and a bandana. There was a little pretense between us by then. My mother was told me that six times how proud she was and how hard I was working to keep my brother and sisters happy during the caseworker interviews. My mother was told me that when caseworkers see a mother with four children come in, they try to get us out of there as fast as they can. My mother was told me that not to comfort my sister in the way it was exceptionally long. I once handed a sharpie to my father, explaining that the cars could see it better this way. He asked where I had gotten it. I told him. He told me why he used his belt, that Jesus could see it better that way. I once told my brother to shut up with my fists all the time. He once told my sisters to shut up. I told him to shut up again. The shelter had a boarded-up window. I remember feeling safe because of this. The shelter had a TV and Bob Barker giving away extravagant prizes for guessing the prices of products that we didn't have. Every wrong guest told me that I wasn't smart enough to take those prizes on, even hypothetically. The days that my father took me to his job site were the best in the sense that he had a job. They were the worst in the sense that it was Saturday and I was stuck in the foreman's office with a woman tacked up on the wall, spreading her legs just for me. After the day is over, he asks if I have any questions. It's my turn for pretense. I say no. Once, my father was in jail six times. Even on Christmas night, he was an iron worker. My mother told me not to come for my sisters when the wait for him was exceptionally long. I think I made a pretense of not knowing what Munchausen syndrome was. Thank you very much. Thank you all so much for coming.